It is Friday, November 1st. And after a long and sleepless night, this is the Cambio Report. I'm Matthew Naylor, uh, coming to you from what is the temporary and very echoey studios of uh, uh, the podcast today. It is my new apartment. I've moved. I'm very excited about it. But I'm also joined today, you know, speaking of things I'm very excited about, by Zoe Ferry of the Majority of PC podcast. Hello, Zoe. Hey, Matt. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming and recording with me today. We have got quite a show for people. So let's start off with the big issue on everyone's minds, the transit strike or transit job action. It's not a strike yet, I guess. They're, yeah, they're saying by if they don't go back to the table soon, it'll be rotating job action followed by a full boom strike. So let's hope they don't get that far. Yeah. So right now, if you are taking a bus anywhere in Metro Vancouver, except for West Van, because... Blue bus. They are blue bus. Why? Who knows? West Van must be different. It's, it's just the rule. You'll be seeing a lack of uniforms on your uh, bus driver because there is a no uh, uniform order and a no overtime order from the union as part of their job action today. It's, I saw this tweet earlier today. It was, um, I think, Simon Little from CKNW who some saw a bus driver wearing a Hawaiian shirt. And oh. I was like, oh, that's a nice... A little bit of zazz for your yeah. job action. Yeah. Got a, I, I, I kind of wish this had happened on Halloween so they could have all shown up in full costumes. Oh, yeah, Brighton Strike. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> would have been, it would have been a very entertaining Halloween. Uh, yeah. So... Right now, there are expected to be some delays on some routes because uh, the maintenance workers who are typically required to work a certain amount of overtime will not be doing so now. Uh, And as such, there is going to be uh, a shortage in the fleet and uh, likely going to be a lack of uh, workers to repair, uh, like work hours to repair the buses, so. Which makes sense. I do appreciate that with the strike, they didn't go with full-blown job action right away, which I was quite young when the last strike happened, but I do recall not having any bus service for months at a time. Yeah, that that sounds like it would, you know, not be so fun. Well, it when you have full-blown job action, it's, it affects the people who depend on the transit the yeah. most, which is, tends to be the people who then keep our city going most of the time. Yeah, and like from a labor organizing standpoint, if you want to win a labor action, you need... Don't piss off the people. Yeah, worker solidarity in order to uh, make sure that, like, it's not Coast Mountain Bus that ends up being like, we're reasonable, we're offering Mm -hmm. this raise and a slightly expanded fleet. It's not what the union asked for, but... uh, We, We understand that people need this service. Yeah. From what I understand, too, the, what they're asking for isn't that ridiculous. They're just asking to be on par with Toronto's bus drivers. That's pretty reasonable. It's like a $3 raise per hour, which given some of the things that have happened over the last few years with bus drivers and the, the rise in assaults we've seen with bus drivers is not an unreasonable pay raise. Now, I don't know how much they make currently per hour, but... No, I don't, I don't actually either. Um... But, but what I am, like, they are, they are decent jobs. Uh, but what Coast Mountain has been saying is that, like, the pricing is competitive. And to that, I say bullshit. Well, when they, when, 
I feel like whenever an employer argues competitive pricing is what they offer is it means they just don't want to pay more. Yeah. And sometimes you need to pay more to get people to want to work. Yeah. And like, well, while I understand that there is a certain like amount of oversubscription to job applications at Coast Mountain, the point is also to make sure that every work can provide dignity to individuals Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, slowly stripping away by Coley, like by cost of living increases, the dignity that is involved in getting a family supporting paycheck is absolutely abhorrent. And And these aren't low quality, these aren't entry level jobs that anyone with a driver's license can apply for. No, it's not, it's not like you're just some newbie with a class four who's hopped into an Uber. Yeah. Like, there are very strict regulations, and I can't imagine it's easy to find people who meet those standards. No, there there is a a certain set of of very marketable skills that are required for someone who wants to be a transit driver or C bus operator, also affected by the strike. And so, like, we should both respect that and uh, compensate them accordingly. I agree. I think with this one, Coast Mountain may not come out looking great unless it comes out that they've been offering them this ridiculous salary and they want three dollars more yeah so the the particular thing that uh you know in addition to the salary hike that they're asking for uh, the union unifor uh is asking for is a slight expansion to the fleet and i, I think like coach this is like fine we, like, we will expand the fleet. Isn't that also what they've proposed? Yeah, we've proposed expanding the fleet. We're going to expand the fleet. Why are you doing Like, I don't understand. They're, uh, they're fighting for the people, really. Yeah, really. Coast Mountain, always on our side. Unifor, also yeah, on, on our, our side, <laughs> I guess. Like, who... who so, so far, the only losers in this transit strike are the transit operators. Yeah. Yeah, that is correct. That's going to change once they start changing how they are striking, but... Yeah. So... Like, rotating strikes are a good way to show, like, there is a problem. Don't, like, put more pressure on Coast Mountain. So how can people put pressure on Coast Mountain? Uh, Tweet at them. Email them. I mean, at this point, if you really think your bus drivers are doing a great job and you appreciate the level of transit the city has, you have to... The best way to do it is to let Coast Mountain know that you're with, with the drivers. Unifor is, I will say, given that they've been responsible for several of the big strikes that have happened in Canada recently with the hospitality workers unionizing, they've been big supporters of them. They are really good at making sure their message gets heard. Yes, they are. Uh, And undoubtedly, we will be hearing about it more in the coming days uh, as job action uh, ramps up. Uh, You know, there are there are other actions that are like slightly re- less disruptive, like the rotating strikes idea, mm-hmm. and then presumably a full-blown uh, transit strike, yeah. which will grind the city to a halt. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, it can spiral out of control to there into a, a general strike and then communist revolution. Uh, <laughs> okay. I think that's a, that's a year from now problem if this strike is going on. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. Uh, the communist revolution is scheduled for November 1, 2020. Uh, <laughs> this will play really well into the Wexit supporters. Yes. And, of course, we can... Uh, 
celebrate said communist revolution with some fireworks because, of course, the government will have been overthrown and there will be no more evil Vancouver uh, government allowing us to frighten our animals on October 31st. What is this deal with this proposed ban? There are some valid points to it. Um, Studies show that like with PTSD survivors and survivors of war, they tend to find these very triggering. Yeah. I can imagine it does sound like it. Like last night, I kept hearing fireworks all night and it just sounds like gunshots. I am a jumpy person, like just in general. And like I went for a walk with my boyfriend around our our, uh, neighborhood yesterday and I, I kept thinking this must be what it's like to be in a war zone, uh, like plus the you know terrifying sense of impending death. But like the shooting seems like it's coming from everywhere. Like the the fireworks yeah. sound like it's coming from everywhere. It, like echoes everywhere, especially in places where they have such high rise, like a condensation of high rises. You will it will bounce off the windows, and echoes everywhere. So it's a terrifying sound. And I can't imagine what it's like for someone who's gone through that and come to this country thinking, oh, it's I'm here for a better life. And on October 31st, this is what they get to hear. Yeah. Uh, so many apologies to everyone who has come to Vancouver <laughs> thinking uh, this is my escape from, you know, war torn Aleppo or whatever. And uh, managed to get a little dose of unwelcome nostalgia yesterday. <laughs> Uh, so what what is actually the city proposing? This is coming forward from Councillor Pete Fry. So it would be banning them except for certain occasions. Um, it's Honda Celebration of Light being one of them and Diwali. Um, basically, it's a ban just to prevent them from being... It, there, there's a lot of complaints about it. You have an increase, I think, in the proposal that Pete Fry put forward. They said there was almost $397,000 in extra police police enforcing because of the complaints they get. That's what I say to arguments about policing cost. That is not something I care about. Uh, Why don't I care about it? Because I am generally opposed to like the idea that we should restrict fun in the city because it costs too much to have it. I don't think restricting fun, I think on nights... Oh, no, it's a ban. It's oh, a ban yeah, it's on a, fun. Yeah, uh, it's not a restriction. <laughs> it's a it's a controlled ban on fun. You can have it on certain times with certain organizations. Yeah, but isn't that what we have now? It's like we're allowed fireworks on New Year's and Halloween. and Well, they're not even doing fireworks this year on New Year's. Oh, really? The okay. New Year's Eve celebration announced yesterday that they're... Post, they're withholding the event this year because of location changes and it's being moved in 20 for um, 2021 2021 will be or 2020 New Year's 2020 will be the next time so we won't even have them this year in Vancouver but well that's that's uh, fine I've yeah. so basically the I think there is a third way on this one a middle path uh, that uh, you know, I, along with a bunch of callers into CBC's talkback line, can uh, can attest to. And that that is, is there a way that you can allow fireworks in the city on Halloween night, but not have it so that it's a totally diffuse and, like, 
all-pervading animal nerve-making just catastrophe for anyone with a little bit of stress. I feel like there has to be. I mean, having parks that don't have high residential areas around them, those can be areas that you can set fireworks off in. That way also when you have controlled areas, your policing resources are, you know where they're going to be versus getting calls from everywhere in the city because that's where it sounds like it's coming from. I, I think having controlled areas isn't the worst idea. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that there is a way that you can restrict the air, area. Basically, like, pick 10 parks. Yeah. They don't have to be the same parks every year. Like, even if there is high-density resident or even low-density residential, because low-density residential is where all the complaints come from. Uh, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> you, uh, you can just pick 10 parks uh, say these are the parks for you to set small, colorful bombs off in, and I mean that's what they are. I, I think we've. When you say that, it reminds me of gender reveal parties, and oh I God. just get the worst images going through my mind at those. What one thing that should never be a phrase is the second gender reveal forest fire of 2019, or the. Uh, or we killed grandma with a pipe bomb. <laughs> People are stupid. Yeah, but I think with this ban, there are some gen- genuine concerns. Mm-hmm. I think an outright ban on fireworks does perpetrate the no fun city image that Vancouver has and we want to shed. Yeah, so let's let's have a little bit of fun. Let's... You know, let people have fireworks on on the nights that they want to have fireworks, you know, and let people set them off in Jericho or Queen Elizabeth Park or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Just pick 10, keep it contained, and uh, send a notice out to the homeowners five days well, uh, yeah. in advance saying, sorry, you drew the short straw <laughs> this year. <laughs> Good luck next year. But, Yeah. Unless, of course, you're the kind of person who wants to set up a bunch of fireworks, and occasionally I am. I, I used to drive out to a oil derrick, uh, not Dor- derrick, oil pump jack outside of uh, Calgary <laughs> to set up a bunch of fireworks near it, which in retrospect sounds very dangerous and probably was. But uh, uh, Well, fun fact, my aunt and uncle actually run a fireworks company in Ontario, and for their wedding, they designed their own fireworks show, and they've done this for multiple family events. So That is amazing. It's fun. It's great. I, I didn't know that I was speaking to a, a, someone affiliated with big firework here, but I... <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, that's why I'm here. I'm lobbying on behalf of big fireworks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yes to controlled use. Yes to uh, a, a little bit of fun in the city. No to an outright ban. And no to gender reveal pipe bombs. <laughs> Which I still can't believe is a thing in 2019. <laughs> Well, it seems like we are just burrowing it into the earth, so let us actually burrow into the earth, or perhaps uh, perhaps not. L- let's maybe lay a tunnel along the uh, bottom of the freezer. Massey Tunnel Wars Oof. continue. Two boards from Metro Vancouver have endorsed a new proposal for an eight-lane tube tunnel that will be replacing the current uh, extant Massey Tunnel the, the two-lane hellhole that we get to drive through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The terrifying, especially when the lane reversals oh, are in. God. I'm just like, 
I have been in there when they were doing construction and it's just like nothing is more terrifying than sitting in that tunnel waiting for traffic to go. Because you can also, I love when you hear the water rushing over. It's like if you have, if you are not a fan of confined spaces, yeah, don't but, recommend it. Um, bridges and tunnels, that's the nightmare, uh, to quote Leo McGarry. But <laughs> anyway, so this eight lane tunnel, what are the lanes for? So from my understanding, there is a multi-purpose, uh, multi-path component to it and two designated bus transit routes that are, or transit lanes, which is wonderful because there are currently no transit lanes. Yeah, uh, the, the buses that are going to the ferry and occasionally... To uh, other parts of Delta for those of you who venture out there every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Tawasin has a uh, really good, you know, deli. The, there's a mall there now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Cross Iron. Is it Cross Iron Mills? Uh, or No, that's the one in Calgary. Cross Town? I don't know. Oh, Twas, uh, it's Twas, Twas Twas Mills. Mills. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how often I've been there. Yeah. Uh, a place of parking and traffic flow issues of its own, from my understanding. <laughs> that said, eight lanes, three each way, two designated transit lanes. Uh, this will be instead of a proposal for a 10-lane bridge, the widest bridge in the world, probably. Maybe again. Probably not. I feel like China's done. No, no. For, oh, for a really? brief point of time, the the widest bridge in the world was uh, the, the Port Man. Oh, wow. I, I did not know that fact about bridges. In this. Also, one note of this bridge, it the environmental impact mm -hmm. assessment puts this as a, as a lower environmental impact over the 10-lane proposed bridge. Well, that is good. Uh, also, there were like a number of other like very reasonable objections to the 10-lane bridge, including the fact that uh, no environmental assessment had really been done on the bridge prior to its approval, and it's near an airport, uh, which, you know, big towers near the airport, not necessarily a bad thing, but not necessarily good either. And given with the last bridge that was completed, which was the Portman Bridge with their wonderful flying poopsicles. Yeah. Okay. For context, <laughs> for people who don't remember this interesting bit of 2012 <laughs> trivia, uh, after the Portman Bridge was uh, completed, the largest cable-stayed bridge in the world, not to be confused with a suspension bridge, they are different. Cable-stayed means the cables are attached directly to the pillar uh, nothing less terrifying if you're if you're not a fan of fights. Uh, as opposed to a suspension bridge, which has one long parabolic cable between the pillars, and then the bridge hung off of cable suspended from that larger cable. All right, Zoe's not. I am not a fan of fights. Over the, uh, <laughs> this may have something to. Do, this may be a part of why I never leave Vancouver. Yeah, tunnel, tunnel all the way for. Yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway, that bridge, those cables uh, were apparently designed for somewhere warm or that didn't experience sub-zero temperatures uh, at the altitudes of, you know, the upper parts of that pylon. Uh, what happened was because of some warm effluent that was being discharged almost right upstream of the bridge, uh, and also just because rivers mist, that mist was uh, hitting the cables and forming giant chunks of ice uh, that would occasionally fall down from the cables and crush people's cars and, uh, you know, hoods, windshields, the whole schmozzle. Uh, and it was a 
big embarrassment, and so they had to design these special crawling things that would just go up and down the lines on cold days, shearing them of little bits of ice. Which was still one of my favorite stories to ever come out of the city. It's a... It's a... It's so dumb. Well, from multi-lean bridges to marijuana... Everyone's favorite talking point. Well, I guess happy birth, belated birthday to legalization in Canada. It's just over a year. Semi-legalization. Semi- well, fully introduced the edibles, too. We're, we're getting there. Uh, it's still, I still, th- like, listen to Spirits of the Law, by the way, if you want a more thoroughgoing discussion of the one year of cannabis. Mark Marison uh, joined us for a discussion, uh, me and Sarah, for a discussion on that uh so check out our sister podcast spirits of the law but right now we are going to be talking about the effect on municipalities marijuana legislation uh has cost municipalities uh, quite a bit of money uh why packaging packaging and also the delays and oh yeah and also like the massive administrative costs but yeah hopefully hopefully those will start coming back in the form of like property taxes and such (laughs) But yeah, the packaging has been contentious. It was It's a fun thing to read about because the municipalities claim that they're all recyclable, but also the amount of packaging needed, yeah. thanks to the federal laws on this. But they have to be bio, biodegradable? No, I, think, or, I don't. I, are they biodegradable? I don't think they're... I, don't I thought know. they have to be opaque or, or translucent. Opaque. They have to be matte, opaque or translucent. Okay. Smell-proof waterproof and food grade right and i don't think most food companies or most food packaging companies have ever made packaging with that in mind yeah why like i understand the childproof the need for childproofing for sure um that makes sense but most medical containers are already made that way but the the waterproof one is the weird one i think because isn't that just a concern of the distributor, not the government? <laughs> yeah, like it is a concern of the distributor and of the uh, consumer, obviously, to not get waterlogged weed because gross. But also, what are you doing with your weed if it's getting waterlogged? I mean, you might have just been in the rain. It's, it's Vancouver, but I like we have Ziplocs. Yeah. Like there are ways around it. Yeah, we we've been dealing with the rain uh, if, in this it, region since. You if know, you aren't used forever. to it by now. It doesn't get better. Yeah, it's it's not going to get better. It, uh, it might get uh, slightly rainier as climate change mm-hmm. uh, manages to hit us. But, you know, the apocalypse notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> marijuana legalization has been like a big kind of semi-disappointment. Like, it's nice to have the, the stores <laughs> out. But, like, marijuana definitely got less accessible in the city. Yeah, I find it now... Because there are less places that sell it, and the, the options you have are a lot less. I mean, legalization's been one of the policies of the federal government that there was a lot of hype of, and now it's just kind of fallen flat. It's not been a complete disaster, but it's just not done the impact that I think we've seen in other places that have legalized, like Washington or Colorado, where the yeah. laws were a lot less strict, I believe. Yeah, where you can like go and buy your weed from a bucket or whatever there. Well, and I think also a bit of it was, you know, putting it on the province, especially in BC, right before municipal 
election happened in every municipality across the province. Yeah, that was uh, not the best timing, but unfortunately, democracy waits for no man and or plant in this particular case. So the waterproofing part is the part that I think creates the biggest need for so much packaging, because if, if it just had to be smell proof, <laughs> you can get that with cellophane wrap. Like you can do the same thing that you would like. Single use plastics, though. Yeah. Which is going to be banned in Canada. They're, they're single use plastics anyway. Like they are or like, I don't know, you can get They're reusable. Technically, you could. <sighs> they're not. I have not yet bought. The, I've never actually purchased weed from the, with the containers. Um, the packaging I've seen is quite wasteful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where you buy the pre-rolled joints and the, you get them in like those. Like the dupe tubes? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is just a waste of time and money. And it's so much. It's, it's not just childproof. It's adult proof because the pack trying to open some of those packaging. I'm like, yeah. is it worth this? It feels like, I feel like I would go to a place if they offered return, like a discount for return or deposit for a return of these things. And maybe that's something dispensaries have to look into because I know that they've had people on the industry side say that these containers aren't recyclable, yeah. but most municipalities are saying they will take them. So the reason they're not recyclable is is that waterproof part because there has to be this different type of plastic it's more plastic plastic mm -hmm. uh, more malleable that uh, is able to be compressed inside of the uh otherwise like very standard i don't know pva4 whatever the fuck it is uh plastic that makes up the rigid body of the container and that that part needs to be manually separated uh out before it is able to be recycled otherwise it might like contaminate the the plastic recycling load then again nothing actually gets recycled anyway sometimes most of the time oh the recycling industry might be a lie <laughs> oh god <laughs> conspiracy theories well I, I mean basically it's that china stopped buying recycling from people but so north american recycling is in a bit of a crisis uh that would be solved if we just built the plants ourselves yeah but that would require logic and reasoning and well uh, apparently, the logic and reasoning has dictated us to have unrecyclable, basically unreusable, uh, unsee-throughable, unsmellable uh, marijuana, and it is all in the name of protecting our kids, which, well, I don't know, we have liquor. They can be in translucent bottles or transparent bottles. Why is marijuana different? Children are going to figure out what a weed looks like. I also do love the police argument of this Halloween where people are giving away edible candies. They're expensive. I guarantee you not one person has said, oh, this gummy bear looks like another gummy bear. I'll give it to a kid. If your child is getting unmarked candy. Throw it out. Yeah. Do not take, just don't open it, period. Yeah. But also edible. Loose candy. Not, don't, don't. Not a Halloween present unless you know the person really, really well. Yeah. After Halloween, you know, responsible parents will go through and remove all the razor yeah. blades from the apples, which also never happened. And That's actually not true. Oh, the, really? So the, the reason for that is actually um, there was a serial killer. <laughs> this is the weird podcast I sometimes listen, in, listen to. There was a serial killer, I believe, in Florida that was lacing as a way to try and get children, was 
putting razor blades in this. So it's not a, it's, it's an urban legend based in some fact. That's cool. Anyway, so yes, please do de-razor blade your apples, uh, throw out all the, you know, horrible, un- unmarked, you know, little plastic bags of loose candy, because that's just not cool to hand out on Halloween. Uh, of course, keep all the raisins for yourself, because <laughs> your child does not want them. <laughs> uh, but I do, I kind of like the raisins. I like the, I like the small brick of sultanas uh, <laughs> that, that really happened after, like, yeah. six months of sitting in the, oh, the closet. God. Yeah. I, I think I've used them in the as a kid I loved them and now I love them to for oatmeal raisin cookies. They're really good for not having to go buy bulk raisins. <sighs> I buy all my raisins in bulk because I live next to the Persia foods. Uh, <laughs> well that'll be a that'll be a loss that I'll have to suffer in this lovely new apartment. I'm so happy. I'm just really <laughs> I'm in a great mood because like I've been living in a basement suite with no natural light. And, and now you have this wonderful city skyline. Oh, it's so pretty. Anyway, back to uh, <laughs> back to Halloween urban legends. Throw the candy corn too. That's just gross. Oh god, candy corn! I've not, I don't understand why. Yeah, I I don't know. Was there? Is this? I feel like it's just the the waste sugar scraped off the machines and punched yeah. into a mold. No one should ever have that much sugar at one time. Yeah, it's revolting, and it doesn't. It's like just a gross texture too. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Ooh, coffee crisps. Coffee crisps? That very Canadian of you. Love my coffee crisps. I like glossettes, which you don't see a ton uh, anymore. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid getting them all the time and being excited about the peanut glossettes. Ooh, yeah. yeah. But the raisin ones, eh. I really like the raisin. Like, for a while, glossettes, I would say, was my favorite candy. I also really like the weird Hershey's, like, golden crisp and... Actually, you know what? It's the crunch bar. That's what I'm... I'm... The crunch bar is good. Yeah. Also, any gummy candies, Sour Patch Kids. I don't like gummy candies. Like, I'm not a fan. I just don't like the texture. I live off of them. Any sour candies are my favorite. Well, uh, one thing that has been leaving a few people, (coughs) calling Hardwick sour, is the Broadway plan. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, it's like every other city plan. Make it, make the city look pretty. They use they get to use their favorite term a lot, non-market housing. Not non-market rental housing, housing. yeah. It's it's the it's, new affordable housing. Yeah, non-market rental housing, the new affordable housing, of course. That I mean it is a slightly let let's let's just dwell on this for a moment because mm-hmm. non-market rental is different from affordable because like affordability is defined by the CMHC 30% criterion, which says that anyone who is spending more than 30% of their monthly income on monthly take home income on housing is living in unaffordable housing. Isn't the, and the city has defined affordable housing as something really ridiculous from what? Yeah. It's like $2,000 yeah, a it's, month. It's pretty, it's pretty up there, but like I do appreciate the, the fact that, building higher end market rental housing like not luxury Mm -hmm. rental but like market or just standard rental or even non-market rental on the higher end of the affordability spectrum uh will make housing more affordable for people who are working like you know jobs with dignity as we are are Mm -hmm. talking about earlier that still end up paying you know if if you're paying two thousand dollars a month for 
housing on a, you're still having to make 3000 bucks a month for a two income household, yeah. uh, which is a ton of money. But uh, as someone who still lives at home with her parents and doesn't pay rent, I, I really can't talk about it. <laughs> I'm not an authoritarian on this, but it is expensive trying to move out. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, with this <laughs> non... I look around my completely empty apartment. <laughs> <laughs> but when you talk about this non-market rental housing, I don't know what the long-term impact will really be because it's most of these housing units are also predefined of the people who can apply to rent them. It's families, low-income seniors... Tend, those that tend to be on the priority. Yeah. Like, if they're going to be done through a housing authority, sure, it's it, it does take pressure off the market, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, like, stopped the inflation of prices like the uh, hideous basement suite that I am vacating. Uh, <laughs> and, and that can remain in a more affordable bracket for, for someone who, who needs to pay less for housing. This uh, is true. But... There's also, I think it was yesterday in question period, the province kind of had a little bit of a slap in the face where it's come out that I think 70, almost like close, a fair amount of their projects they've announced don't actually have financial backing for these province-wide initiatives. Yeah. I know that the federal government has given a sizable amount and it'll be interesting to see what happens once you know, a session resumes in a few, well, I guess maybe not until the new year now. They're yeah, I don't think they're coming back in the fall. No, I, I think they're, and I'll think... We're going to get a new throne speech in probably January, late January, early February? Probably. It makes sense. I mean... We don't need any governance till then. Nothing's going to get done in December except <laughs> them showing up. Yeah, people will get... I, I hear people have been on office tours, people have... Uh, been shown around Parliament Hill for some of the parliamentarians who have never been to Parliament before. It's a terrifying, terrifying thought. But I feel, I feel like Canada should make it more possible for people, like, just for kids to go. Kids yeah. should go to Ottawa. I mean, I remember in high school, Encounters with Canada, great yeah. program. I went to Ottawa and got to do a tour of Parliament. So I, I didn't do encounters. I did form for young Canadians, which is like... Which is kind of like an offshoot where it's more political yeah. versus encounters, which is more... Civic. Not civic even. It's You can do different streams. Like I did broadcast... I did journalism and communications. Okay. Um, there's like a science one. There's one about veterans. So Okay. Interesting. Know, it's a great program. So shout out to them. But Yeah. Thank you to everyone <laughs> who exchanges Canada. Uh, but back to the Broadway plan. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's where we that's where we <laughs> left off of this, and then the Broadway subway took one of those strange detours and burrowed through several thousand kilometers of bedrock and shield uh, until a re- you know arriving in the Ottawa Valley. Woo, the Laurentides. Uh, <laughs> Still better transit than Ottawa's LRT. Buzzing. Um, Broadway. <laughs> but the Broadway plan right now is, you know, there's proposals. I'm going to be excited when they finally start work on breaking ground for the for this broad for this subway. Yeah, I mean, technically they have started breaking ground on the subway, but only the part that's in the air. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one of our aero subways. Yeah. Lovely sky trains that we have. Yeah. But I think if we had a proper Broadway sub- subway now... Those UBC students wouldn't be so affected by this by this upcoming bus strike. Yes, they would. 
Well, I mean, it, sorry, no, no, they wouldn't, but it'd be a lot I, I mean, easier, yeah, a lot yeah. closer. I was trying to agree with you, but then, like, as I, I was, yeah. like, saying, I'm like, oh, it's, I, there is no like it's C so in English. There's no like negation agreement. Yeah. Grammar tangent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, UBC students could still get to class if there was a Broadway subway line that stretched all the way out to UBC instead of just Arbutus. The current situation is that right now there have been recently a couple of designs that have been uh, put out for public scrutiny. The Granville Street design looks kind of cool but has too much parking. Two, there's like two and a half levels of parking for... For the very walkable Granville and Broadway. Yeah. Why? I mean, businesses maybe? That was like the justification, I guess, but isn't the point of that it, it negates the trans the use of transit to get there yeah like just take the train it's in the building <laughs> but that would be but then how would people drive all the way from uh, i guess like 16th and broadway to get to that station you wouldn't you would fucking walk but like one level of parking, like a loading dock and some some stuff I, for business. I also think this might be one of the largest parking proposals for any Vancouver SkyTrain or Canada Line stop. Because, Certainly within the city of Vancouver. Yeah, like anything within the city, I don't think I've ever seen that much parking. Mm -hmm. I know that Olympic Village has that giant parking lot. Yeah, that's, I mean, now it has some of the, uh, the modular, temporary modular housing in it, uh, which... Mm -hmm. Uh, looks really nice. It, I, I, I think these projects are great. Yeah. Like, I, I will argue till I'm blue in the face about why I think temporary modular housing is a great project for the city. Every single fucking empty lot. Put them in every single one. Ah, it's yeah. better than those community gardens that disappear. Yeah. I mean, the community gardens are a different thing because they're uh, oftentimes on, like, contaminated land, which is, like, questionable in general, but they're all raised beds, so, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, yada, yada. Don't scoop dirt from the garden lot <laughs> into the garden box. Let's, let's just have that be the takeaway from that particular <laughs> tangent into nonsense. Um, it's contaminated with hexanes. Lovely. I, I love getting those in my gardens that I don't ever do because who has time to garden? Yeah, your 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 uh your nails don't indicate you're an avid gardener. <laughs> yeah, I think a friend of mine tried to propose over the summer. I, we come over to her place and help her garden. And, and just I showed no, her. No, I was just like, you have wine there, right? I'll drink wine. You can garden. I'll keep you company. Yeah, you're taking part in a yeah. vegetable-based experience. To uh, just grapes. Mm -hmm. But. Yeah, I don't get why we need so much parking at these. But the, the buildings, the designs look really cool. And I think the idea of pushing more businesses to open along that is a fantastic idea. If there wasn't so much parking, it would be even better. Yeah, I. it is going to be a, a fantastic project. And like the new subway line that is uh, being proposed for Broadway and City Hall, which is like a kind of disappointing subway line for like arguably our city center subway line or subway station it's, it's there it's there's there. nothing yeah i feel like with most of the canada line designs i've never been that impressed the only one i really like is marine gateway because they've built that whole development around it yeah everything else just kind of is there like translink has a visual design language 
And, uh, you know, it, it is pretty intuitive, mm-hmm. by and large. And aside from the fact that I would rather the uh, staircases and escalators, like, come down in the same alignment with respect to the tracks every time, so that, like, going downtown meant turning to the right every time, as opposed to sometimes right and sometimes left. Drunk me has gotten on the wrong train at uh, Yale Town Roundhouse more than once. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I it just made sense. It was. It seemed like it was going in the other direction. It seemed like, and all of the stations otherwise made me think. But no, I was being tricked. Or the annual, or the bi-monthly. All the escalators at Vancouver City Center are down. Yeah. That sucks. (laughs) But they are adding more escalators there. One thing that they will have to do on this Broadway uh, subway line at City Hall Station is add, like, they they are proposing two escalators coming up from the uh, tracks that would connect to the southbound platform at uh, Broadway City Hall. Uh, So it will be two long escalators feeding into one short escalator, which... Seems like they are going to need a, another escalator. At some point in the near future. At some point in the near future, or indeed j- just make... This seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Oh, it's, it's... Like, I just get these visions of... People crowding an escalator, and then a bunch of people... Who? Like, too many people getting off a train at the end of a Connects game, crowding up two escalators. And then getting really pissed off when they have one escalator to go up. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Oh, this sounds like, like a bad... This is like a disaster waiting to happen. Like, literally, people f- being pushed backwards down an escalator kind of disaster. Oh, God. I mean, unless it's a really fast escalator. They're gonna... Yeah, but really... Escalators have to be one speed. They basically just have to be, like... Oh, God, this is... Another escalator. I feel gonna like... need a bigger boat. <laughs> They're gonna need to. Yeah. Either that or make the second escalator skip the, the city hall platform entirely. Mm-hmm. And just be for the train. For yeah. The, yeah. So like if they had one escalator that went from uh, the Broadway line up to the Canada line and then mm-hmm. one from Canada line to street level. Yeah. And then one from Broadway all the way up to street level uh, that skipped the Canada line. That, Makes sense, I think though. that would make more sense. And prevent I can, the, I, I've just seen how crowded city center can get. Yeah. Now imagine that with one one escalator <sighs> did, did people not like we had the olympics admittedly like the canada line was for the olympics but we should have realized that we probably needed this line for more than 10 years and could have built the stupid line out so the stations didn't have to be entirely rebuilt when our capacity increased i but, don't think they ever thought about the possibility of it actually getting funded Humbug. Well, from Fruit of the Vine and the Broadway line to what to do when North Fan needs to go to the washroom, North Fan sewage finally up and running uh, in well, terms of, you know, the construction. Yes. It's back on. They've been done since, well, they've been on a stop recorder since April. And now. Yeah. So that's a long time. And like, I don't know what the hell. Uh, well, they said administrative issues. Yeah. That sounds like someone at the district. So this is this for some context. 
North Van's sewage treatment center currently is underneath the Lionsgate Bridge on Squamish lands. The, or rather, what were Squamish lands and then were kind of expropriated and now are being returned to the Squamish after the sewage treatment plant is removed. So that is the oldest sewage treatment plant in the entire region. It is uh, not up to standard. It doesn't do tertiary treatment. Uh, which is, you know, more than just removing solid wastes and a, uh, a form of, like, sterilization on lights. Mm -hmm. there, there's actually more... more it's more in-depth process. Yeah. It's not a depth I want to think about because <laughs> gross. But uh, there are two things that are, like, cool about this. One is that the uh, new plant, which is at uh, First and Pemberton, which is in the district. Uh, why are there two North fans? Nobody knows. <laughs> that's an entirely separate discussion yeah and, and i'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast before but it's very dumb so the the second of the north fans i will call it the second because it is the second uh, <laughs> district of north fan whatever grow up no district of north fan stop being such assholes seriously don't cancel housing for seniors so angry uh <laughs> the District slapped the company that was being contracted or that won the bid to build the new Lionsgate or new North Van uh, sewage treatment plant with a stop work order uh, because they were not meeting building code standards. That, like, the, the specific phrase that they used was failed to meet certain administrative requirements under the building code. What that means is somewhat unclear, but... There hadn't been a ton of work that had already taken place. It, they were mostly in the, like, sand packing phase of the construction, uh, which, you know, is required for making sure that your uh, foundation doesn't crack when there's a rainstorm. But So, so basics of building in a tropical and a temperate rainforest. Yeah. Yeah, very, very basic. But apparently someone, I don't know, didn't fill out a form or something. And uh, that has resulted in a six-month work stoppage, and, which and, seems ridiculous to and, me. But And also means probably they won't realistically restart construction until the spring. Yeah, probably not, actually. Because construction through the rainiest part of this year may not be the wisest decision. Yeah, I think, is it? Although I have, I have this, I'm like thinking back to the one course that like I, I took on, on building construction. I was wondering if packing wet sand is easier than packing dry sand. But anyway, yeah, that's. I have no background in construction. I, as you can tell by my nails, I don't even build <laughs> basic stuff. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the construction won't be done anytime soon because they haven't like poured a foundation yet. So. Hopefully, Norfan will eventually be getting their lovely new sewage treatment plant, which will integrate with the Lonsdale Energy Corporation, which is uh, a corporation that supplies very, very low-cost heating and energy to much of the North Shore, but particularly the city of Norfan. That uh, is a really good way of uh, reusing our heat because heat like, is both an incredibly useful commodity, terrible waste <laughs> product, and industrial pollutant. <laughs> necessary. So necessary. Yeah. Uh, but much like fluoride, it should be piped around the city for public consumption. I was just reading something about how Calgary had, <laughs> had banned fluoride again. Oh. And, and it's I, been like 
eight years and children are showing up with like really really bad oral you know infections and it just makes me so furious because like calgary voters approved fluoride in a plebiscite three times and then one city council was just like nope we've decided to obey the council of canadians and their nonsense alberta politics is something at any level is not something i actually understand yeah and i i've I've tried to read about it especially given the wexit talks but i uh i i'm not gonna lie vancouver city politics makes more sense to me yeah, and that's saying something because Vancouver city politics doesn't make a lot of sense. It is a fascinating uh, city with a thousand, thousand stories, each of them more interesting and bizarre than the next, uh, which of course brings us to our segment with which we close every single episode of the Canby Report, Vancouverada. Zoe. So it's actually really funny because the day you asked me to do this, I had seen this pop up on Twitter thanks to Miss 604. And um, so fun fact about Vancouver, Canada's first gas station was actually in Yaletown at Cambie and Smythe in 1907. That's weird. Right? Yeah. It's a timely fact given everything that's happening with pipelines and everything in this. But apparently the first gas power car arrived in 1904 the first station opened in 1907 with Im- by Imperial Oil. <laughs> Something about the fact that there was the first car and then three years until the gas station showed up. Like, I assume that, like, this was a wealthy dude who, like, had their own gas. Yeah, it's probably the, the one-off guy who's, like... It's like the early adopter to the Tesla before we had any charging stations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They were like, oh, cool. Oh, wait. I've run out of gas and uh, the... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's about as easy to find gas stations now in downtown Vancouver as it was then, it seems. Actually, technically... Actually, I think it would be exactly as easy because I think there's just the one, right? (laughs) So we've gone back to our roots. Yes. Are there any gas stations in downtown Vancouver other than the one on Broadway... Not Broadway, Burrard and Davie? I'm trying to think. I don't think there are anymore. I don't anymore. think there are. I think I think we have, with the closure of that Chevron... Yeah, I think that's the only one downtown. Yeah. So, we uh, we have a particularly resident Vancouverada today. A, a return to our roots, the one gas station town of 1907. Moving, of course, from uh, what is, I think... The lot right next to the Law Society. I think so. <laughs> where I am taking all the classes. <laughs> and is now uh, being, of course, redeveloped because, you know, of course it is. So it turns out remediation does work eventually. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me, Zoe. Uh, so we will be having. back. Uh, Ian, I think, is going to be coming back in coming weeks. Uh, you know... I hope everyone had a very relaxing Halloween, very fun, very whatever. Uh, If you're going to Halloween parties this weekend, stay safe. Have a wonderful week. Uh, For the Cambry Report, I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Zoe Ferry. Good night.